The Pace Line is supported by Health IQ. You ride your bike, you keep in shape. Health IQ believes you should be rewarded for that with lower life insurance rates. Head over to their website, healthiq.com forward slash paceline, and find out just how much your riding can save you on premiums. Now, on to the show. On the Pace Line, how trail building can pull together a community. The last couple times I've gone down there, I've met new people, and they've told me, like, I I never knew anything about mountain biking. And now because of the access to the trail system, they're into it. Their kids are into it. Their parents are getting into it. And a helmet that could be sold in a vending machine. It folds down to about the size of a banana. It's easily bendable, very cheap material. It's coated paper and unfolds into a fully functional helmet that will protect your head just as well as a traditional polystyrene one. The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. We welcome you to our little group ride. This once a week throwdown where we do not judge. It's a no posers podcast, if you will. Uh, the Pace Line can be bagged on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Music. Of course, the Pace Line gets a huge pull from fatcyclist.com. And because of that site's fine work at the front, we let Fatty talk on this show. Did you say no posers allowed? Because No posers. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> That's a problem for me. No, it's not. You're, you're not a poser. You're far from a poser. Oh, dude, you're I... the farthest thing from a poser. I'm such a poser. Strike a pose. I spent a week with you, and I, I can state for a fact that you are no poser. Oh, well, thank you. And I, right. I, I want to say that uh, you guys must be very important because I've taken a break from my mashed potato and banana cream pie preparation tomorrow's Thanksgiving. Oh. Wait, it, yeah, you know what I have on the counter right now is a bucket of shortening mm, and some flour. I'm supposed to get the pie crust uh, moving mm, for my mm-hmm. <laughs> Fatty, was that one dish or two? <laughs> it is one dish. Um, I've never actually put mashed potatoes in a banana cream pie. Uh, a mashed potato pie sounds perfectly delicious, though. <laughs> uh, the show is posted on redkiteprayer.com, where Patrick Brady occasionally writes a thing or two. Hello, Patrick. Hi there. Yeah. Hi there. Yeah, everybody getting ready to fill up, I think. We're, this show is being recorded the week of Thanksgiving. You know what I heard about today? In fact, I was on a ride just before we recorded the show. There's a local ice cream shop here, only in L.A., of course, Venice, if you will, that is serving turkey and gravy-flavored ice cream. Ooh, I'm out. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. gosh. I am, in general, right. I am in favor of of extraordinary flavors but i don't know meat and gravy ice cream no i that that strikes me as a fish and cheese kind of contradiction (laughs) i mean as a rule i'm against segregation um but this time i'll make an exception (laughs) right uh so fatty in our weekly show email uh, on the topics we cover we send an email out to each other about what we want to talk about you sent them a bit of a cryptic note that said you wanted to talk about the fall and rise of fat cyclists. Could you please explain? I'll do my best. So I have been writing fatcyclist.com for 11 years and eight months, so real close to 12 years. 
and it has been an amazing ride. But my Thanksgiving post, which will be the one that you, uh, dear listener, would be able to see right now, is going to be my last post at fatcyclist.com. And Red Kite Prayer will become the new home of Fat Cyclist uh, content. All of my archive will be moving over to Red Kite Prayer, although it will continue along with the comments to live at uh, (laughs) fatcyclist.com until I stop paying for the domain. And I'll be writing there, and we'll continue to be doing the pace line uh, at Red Kite Prayer. Uh, honestly, I'm just I'm excited to uh, no longer be a sole proprietor. I'm excited to be part of the Red Kite Prayer family. Hmm. Very nice to have you. In fact, Patrick, how does this? How do you get all these these elements folded into the the vast the vastness that is Red Kite Prayer? Well, it turns out that wasn't one doesn't really have to do a lot more than welcome <laughs> someone. Um, I mean, there's a there's a little bit of uh, coding that has to be done on the back end, and that will be uh, finished soon. But it took me about two minutes to create a login for Fatty, and so he's free to go nuts uh, as soon as he's uh, uh, free to do so, or you know, has a spare minute. Um, you know, I just. Dude, this is like Christmas in November. <laughs> I am just beyond thrilled. Um, so, you know. And it's in my contract, free to go nuts. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. So I, I may I, regret that, but I think it's <laughs> unlikely. Yeah, so it, it's it been a good match. I mean, obviously, we enjoy doing the podcast together. We've, uh, we've actually had, uh, I think, a year or two ago, we actually did a... April Fool's joke post saying RKP had had acquired Fat Cyclist, but you and I have talked about it for a while, saying you know a couple of independent publishers looking to um, looking to perhaps expand both of our audiences, and uh, you know it's there's a lot of you know there's a lot of work that goes into having a site. Why don't we join forces? And now yeah. we are. I mean, I'm this is so- an epic. Yes, I, this is just an epic dovetail. I'm just, I'm, yeah, I'm so thrilled by this. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, we talked about it and, you know, it was one of those things like, yeah, let's do something. Okay. Now what? Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I just, I figure that was more a failure of imagination on my part. Um, and you know, part of it honestly was, um, I struggled with how to do this initially just because I had, so much respect, not just for Fatty, but also for his audience. You know, it's like, what what do we do to, you know, make sure that this works for everybody, that this is something that, you know, the, the audience uh, will accept and, you know, how, how do we, you know, properly position this so that it doesn't seem like uh, this is some sort of slight uh, to Fatty and, and his history, um, you know, and I, it's like, well, if we just publish work, we just publish work and, you know, people will read it probably. Mm-hmm. So on, on the RKP site, Patrick, I mean, if folks who have been there, they kind of uh, maybe they've seen the layout where it has uh, different categories, machine, mind, race, body, sound is where the pace line goes. Is there going to be a, a, a fatty column or a fatty category there? There will be a fatty tab. Um, a fatty tab. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it, you know, at a certain level, it'll be simpler than that in that every time he posts a new, uh, a, a new post, um, you know, it'll be included, uh, in the gallery at the top. So if you just 
you know, go to the homepage and look at what's cycling through the gallery, you know, you'll see whatever he has just posted. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, this is not something that'll be uh, challenging for people to wrap their heads around. No. Mm -hmm. In fact, the stories will remain the same for you. You plan to pursue the same stuff you always have? You know, I've never had any kind of plan for what I'm going to write. Um, I, I do things and I have ideas of things that I want to write, and I do. Um, when I first started uh, FatCyclist.com, it was mostly fake news. If you go back to 10 years ago, 11 years ago, you'll see that it was mostly me uh, writing satire on pro cycling. Uh, that mm-hmm. stopped interesting me a while ago um, as pro cycling became a little bit more satirical of itself. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, in, I'm now a lot more interested in uh, local rides and riding with regular people, and I'm interested in uh, local races and my own experiences and what goes on um, in you know in small groups. It's so. Will that be Will that be true three years from now? You know, I might start being more interested in what happens in the Utah Senior Games. Um, you know, I <laughs> I write about what is around me on two wheels. Yeah. That'll just never we've change. never known you as a guy who would write about a lot of gear. You're more about the experience of riding, I think, than the gear and the equipment and the more technical aspects of cycling. That's true. Um, I think you guys uh, are a lot more technically savvy than I am. Um, I th- I know that out of the three of us, I'm the only one who actually has a mechanic come to my house to <laughs> do uh, bike work. Uh-huh. Uh, thanks, Racer. Um, and that will continue. Um, I write about the writing experience. That said, there are things that are a little technical that I uh, have never really taken on at fatcyclist.com that this kind of gives me a a little bit of breathing room to do. Um, Mm -hmm. Specifically, uh, I am pretty interested in doing a little bit of writing about books. Uh, We don't do as many book reviews as we should, and that's something that I am pretty qualified for. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm I'm going to be doing the same stuff I've always done, and I've got room to experiment. So I'm excited about all of that. Excellent. Well, I'm looking forward to this uh, monumental merger. It ought to be you know really cool, I think, to combine the two audiences. Not only that, the comment section is going to get really lively now, and I love <laughs> the idea of that. So um, a great uh, marriage is it a marriage? I suppose is that what you call it in publishing? A marriage, a merger, a we getting hitched, a, a getting hitched, a combining of forces, a collaboration, <laughs> all of that. So. Yeah, congratulations to both. Yeah, amen. I'm so. And again, this will, we'll see this happen again. What what's the timing of this? When will we see this happen? <laughs> tomorrow. It, yep, uh, and by tomorrow we mean today. For yeah. those of you who are listening. <laughs> okay. So it's happening now. If yeah, you're listening yeah, to let's this go podcast, now. <laughs> it's already yeah, happened. Go, go check out. It's a thing. RKP and and see the new editions. Yeah, there's a there's suddenly I think probably a doubling of content in the archive for RKP. Nice, excellent. Okay, guys, uh, it's been a while since we've heard this name, Tyler Hamilton. Uh, he's been laying low since the uh, Armstrong collapse. I saw him quoted in a story on the on the Brad Wiggins therapeutic use exemption mess, but other than that, not much out of Mr. Hamilton. Now, Patrick, you ran into him in uh, your neck of the woods recently. Yeah. Um, so there was an event that Asos uh, joined forces with Divine to to hold uh, just last week, um, the Campionissimo. And it was a different take on what a, uh, a cycling getaway could be. 
it was kind of just a training camp. Um, they hold up uh, at this uh, kind of a, or a retreat center and, um, you know, would go out for long rides every day. And uh, Hamilton has a relationship with Duvine. And so he uh, got invited to come down and help lead the rides and uh, dispense a little coaching advice here and there. Um, and uh, I was actually supposed to attend most of the event. Um, but then I got sick after doing three cyclocross races in three days. And, uh, then my car got rear-ended, uh, separate story, never mind. Um, but I wasn't able to get back on my bike until the last day of the event and actually roll out with them for, uh, a rainy, uh, stroll through the Sonoma County countryside. Um, Mm -hmm. Hamilton and I go back, um, at least as acquaintances, uh, 20 odd years. Um, and, uh. You know, we we run into each other, I don't know, every three, four, five years. For a while, it was more uh, more frequent. But I'd bump into him at a training camp or uh, at the Mount Washington Hill Climb or the Donut Ride down in yeah. L.A. Um, and it was one of those things that, you know, he'd see me and always recognize me. And we'd have to spend a moment or two kind of, uh, you know, reconnecting you know i'd remind him of my connection with uh new england and that sort of thing uh you know i was i was there in harvard square when he won collegiate nationals back in 93 95 i forget um and uh so uh it was an interesting opportunity to reconnect it's the first time i'd seen him since uh the uh, book, The Secret Race, came out, which he co-authored with Dan Coyle. And mm-hmm. uh, it was an interesting time in that uh, I could tell a huge weight had been lifted off of him. Uh, over the years, as I'd bumped into him, he had become a more guarded individual, I've got to say. Um, and um, the the last time I'd seen him at the donut ride when he was racing for Rock Racing... Um, he, you know, it was, uh, he, boy, how to put this, there was a heavier demeanor about him. And well, of course the federal government was asking him a lot of questions. Uh, well, yeah, not to put too fine a point on it. But, <laughs> I, I, yeah. yeah. I'd have a lot of weight on me too. I'd be a little, uh, weirded out. I think too, if I was under that kind of stress and there was a lot of stress and he was one of the major voices to eventually come out and say, yeah, Lance Armstrong, I watch him and the whole team dope. I mean, so yeah, understandably, he was under a lot of pressure at the time. Yeah, and so this was, you know, just prior to his complete confession. Um, and uh, so, you know, a lot has changed for him uh, since then. And uh, at one point, he and I were talking about uh, his decision to move to Missoula. I was like, okay, you decided to leave Boulder. You know, I, I can get why you would do that. And he was he was ready to go chapter and verse on why he needed to get out of Boulder. Um, and, you know, he he held open his jacket, you know, uh, grabbed uh, grabbed his jacket and held it open. He's like, no, I'm I'm an open book. Ask any question you want. Seriously, any question. And it was remarkable in that you could see that not only had telling the truth and the whole truth, you know, the, his experience lifted a weight on him, 
he'd realized, you know, what a liberating effect uh, it was to just go there. Um, and, you know, it's not that he was actively looking to rehabilitate his image with me. Um, you know, it was very much a take it or leave it, but it's like, I'm not going to hide anything. I'm not going to hide anymore. Um, and so it was, a, a remarkable personal stance, but it was a delightful conversation. Um, and you know, it's one of those things that there are an awful lot of cycling fans who think that, you know, anybody who's been a doper or confessed doping ought to be tossed from the sport. And when I, when I bump into guys like Tyler, um, and Levi Leipheimer. Yep. Mm -hmm. Uh, what I find so interesting is that, you know, they, these guys have changed having come clean, uh, with their past. And Mm -hmm. I actually feel that they've got a lot more to give the sport than guys who've never admitted what their past was. Um, you know, I don't believe for a moment that Miguel Indurain, uh, got those five tour wins clean. I'm just not willing to accept that idea. Six foot two and climbing mountains, chasing down the likes of Marco Pantani. Um, no. Um, so I actually have a lot more respect uh, for the guys who did come clean, no matter why it was they came clean. Um, and, you know, uh, cheers to Asos and Divine for bringing him down uh, to be a part of it. I think it was a, a really great experience uh, for, uh, for all the cyclists who were there. Um, and he's always been a charming guy, um, not in a politician sort of way, but just a, a welcoming open sort of guy, uh, easy with advice, um, you know, happy to share his experience. Um, and so I, I really welcomed the time that I had with him and I, I look forward to having a chance to bump into him again. Mm-hmm. So the, the ASOS event, the ASOS divine event, um, you talked about that a, f- a few podcasts ago. This was a a multi-day riding event up in Northern California, right? Yeah. So they were based at a retreat center um, with some communal housing as well as some private rooms. And uh, it was uh, kind of near Healdsburg. And I believe it was nine days of riding total. Um, And so they had rides going out that were anywhere from 30-ish miles up to 100 miles. There were usually uh, two rides a day. Um, they got rained on a little bit, but man, people packed in the miles. I was really envious of everybody, you know, that I couldn't be out there to join them. And they had their new, uh, rolling showroom with them. So you could check stuff out. Um, the funny thing is the people they attracted were such diehards. It's not like there was a lot that they could offer in terms of, Oh, check out this new jacket because a (laughs) lot of the people there were already wearing that stuff. Um, Uh so you know, I'd hate for it to sound like I was being critical, you know, preaching to the choir. Um, but, you know, the neat thing was these people were prepared for all of the conditions. You know, they you know, they were well dressed for uh, rain and cold. Um, and there, there are only a handful of manufacturers out there that really have gear that is as well suited to those conditions. Right. Well, sounds like a fun event. And... Uh... A good thing for ASOS. And what is Duvine? Were they the travel company involved or the, the organizer? Yeah. So uh, Duvine leads a number of tours uh, in the Sonoma uh, County area. And so uh, ASOS enlisted them to help with route planning 
and, uh, you know, other logistics, you know, to find accommodations. Um, you know, they don't, they don't really have any infrastructure here. And, you know, honestly, you know, their American infrastructure, uh, in Salt Lake city is just getting started. Um, they're still getting up to speed. Um, and so this was kind of a big project for them to take on. And honestly, I'm, I'm accustomed to seeing stuff like this that, you know, gets, gets announced with six weeks to go. And frequently those things are not disasters, but, you know, have some hitches in them. And this thing seemed to go off without a a single hiccup. Um, there was, you know, coffee and, and food for everybody prior to the start of the ride. Um, you know, they frequently had a follow vehicle for folks. Um, the day I rode, um, the, the group split in two and we had 20 ish riders, um, per, uh, per group, you know, some, uh, in addition to Tyler, uh, there was, uh, another guy, Jim, uh, from, uh, Tyler Hamilton training, uh, who was there to, you know, help, uh, kind of coach people, direct people, um, you know, lend some experience. It was a really neat event. And it's something that I'm, I'm, uh, hoping they'll do again. And selfishly, I'd like them to do another one here in Sonoma County so I could do more of it. So I have a couple Mm -hmm. of questions. Fire away. Okay. When the group split in two, which which group did you wind up in? Uh, the one that was going flat because I had a sore, <laughs> tight back from having been uh, hit by a car. My, my car was hit by a car. I was not hit. Um, but this was my first day back on the bike uh, after right. having taken that ambulance ride. So I wanted to stay flat. Also, it was raining. And the, the, the ride that did not stay flat was going to the geysers. And... I'm still learning those two descents and to do either one of those descents in the rain was not something that I was going to be thrilled about. They're difficult. Hey, well, like Michael said at the beginning, we don't judge here. Right, so. <laughs> no posers. <laughs> Second question. <laughs> yeah. One of you said ASOs. One of you said ASOs. Which is it? For, for it's once awesome. and for all. Okay. Yeah. It, it's I, it's ah as in tongue depressor with doctor. Ah. Awesome. All right. Yeah. All right. It's good to find, good to get that resolved. I've said it. I in. love the long a ASO. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Also, just ASOs. If, if you if you go to Kiaso, don't say it. <laughs> and I've of course been pronouncing it differently than either of you for some time. <laughs> really. <laughs> I can guess which way you were going with that. Oh yeah, there was there was probably an H sound in there for a while, but things mm. things have changed. Okay, so guys, it's you know it's pretty rare for anybody in the bike industry to um, speak out about politics. You just don't hear it that often, um, especially for anybody to. I mean, we all talk, we all talk on our bike about what's been going on with the election or about issues or what have you, but. Pretty rare for any one of us, especially somebody of stature or somebody in a position of power to really come out and speak out about uh, leadership and about the country's direction as a whole. But John Burke, who is the president of Trek Bicycles, uh, has come out with a 12-point plan that he has, you know, for the most part, forwarded to President-elect Trump. It's his suggestions on how to fix the country. Uh, Trek bikes, Patrick, I believe, is still the, the number one seller of bicycles in in America or in the North America. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, by far, huh? I think Fatty, your um, our recent survey proved that out that people more than likely owned a Trek. Yes, that is right. 
That was the most popular bicycle, I believe. Anyhow, Burke uh, has posted his 12-point plan to fix the country. It was on Huffington Post uh, recently here. And here's, uh, now it's a long plan. Uh, and there's a fair amount of detail to it. So what I, I've tried to edit it down just to get to, to the finer points. Because I think it's interesting to hear somebody in the bike industry really come forward with an idea about how the country should move forward, especially during this time right now. We're kind of at a pivotal moment. There's a lot of hand-wringing going on about what's going to happen next. And here's a guy who said, look, I have some ideas. And here they are. His number one idea, or his first, I don't know if this is his top idea, is to fix Congress. He'd like to see term limits. Two four-year terms for House and Senate members. And if a congressional member has a net worth of over $2 million, they should work for free. Number two, reform campaign finance. Only people who vote should be allowed to make campaign contributions. That sounds a little Bernie Sanders-esque, uh, maybe. I don't know. Um, create a high-performance government is the number three. He says pay workers well, provide good benefits, and give managers the ability to put the best team on the field by empowering them to fire poor performing workers. Number four, fix Social Security. He uh, Burke says just scrap the cap is his uh, idea. If you make eighty grand a year, you pay forty eight hundred in taxes. If you make ten million dollars a year, you only pay seven thousand in Social Security taxes. Obviously, according to Burke, something is out of whack there. Uh, he says you could raise one hundred thirty billion in revenue and save one of the country's best programs with one small change. Cut defense spending. This is a tough one, uh, especially considering uh, President-elect Trump. Uh, this one, Burke admits, is going to be hard. If you need a place to start, though, cutting, that is, look at the current plan of spending $355 billion on our nuclear arsenal over the next 10 years. Burke would strongly suggest that you read, President-elect, that you read President Eisenhower's farewell address on defense spending. Uh, Burke said, look, I hear that the president-elect is not a big reader, so he has proposed that he watch a video of President Eisenhower's farewell speech. Now, instead of playing the whole video, we have a clip from January 17th, 1961. This is Eisenhower on defense spending. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic processes. Burke also uh, suggests number six here, improve American infrastructure by raising the gas tax a dollar per gallon. And he says to launch Eisenhower II, a massive infrastructure program to rebuild America we say here at the Paceline, make sure that there's bike infrastructure in that program. We'd like to see that. Simplify the tax code is number seven. Uh, it is 74,000 pages long and a complete joke, according to Burke. He says it only serves the wealthiest people. Number eight, fix the legal system. He believes in going with the English rule of law where the loser pays the winner's legal fees. Um, Burke believes by doing so, you can cut over uh, 50% of the lawsuits in America. Fix the health care system. We've heard the President-elect Trump uh, talk about this by getting rid of Obamacare. But uh, Burke counters that two key points that need to be focused on are actually improving the health of Americans so we don't spend money in the first place and actually reducing costs. And I think the pace line here, we would say, let's try to involve, again, fitness and cycling into the health care or the health and well-being of Americans somehow. 
reduce the risk of nuclear war. I'll just leave number 10 alone at that. Number 11, announce a program. This is interesting. Announce a program called Every Kid Has a Chance. And that would include providing three meals a day to every kid, free basic health care for the first 22 years of life, and a free college education, uh, education, that is, for every kid living in poverty. Finally, number 12, reduce gun deaths in America. Uh, Burke believes that a law should be introduced to make sure that all guns get registered, that all gun owners get a license with a background check to own a gun, just like when you buy a car. That is it, according to Burke, 12 simple pieces of advice as you, Mr. Trump, take on the most important job in the world. Pretty rare, guys, isn't it? Uh, Patrick, have you oh. ever heard of anybody in the bicycle industry involving themselves or interjecting themselves like this into uh, national politics? Oh, no, no. And I mean, it's worth noting that, you know, no one else prior to John Burke really had the kind of, you know, power and traction to say something. I mean, the, the, you know, he released a book last year, you know, 12 ways to fix America. Um, and so this is, you know, kind of capitalizing on that and building on it conceptually. Um, the, the sad thing is that this was printed in HuffPo, the Huffington Post. And so mm-hmm. it's sort of unlikely that our president elect will give it any consideration, <laughs> but you know, uh, in his introduction to it, Burke said, you know, that he's he's not a Republican, he's not a Democrat. And as you read through those uh, proposals, they are remarkably nonpartisan. There's stuff in mm-hmm. there that, you know, hardcore conservatives will absolutely hate, you know, the, the free education and health care to poor people. Oh, my gosh. But then the one dollar gas tax is very regressive. That'll hit poor people pretty hard, harder than than mm-hmm. anybody else. But then, you know, if they've got free health care and a free education, maybe it becomes easier for them to bear that cost. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Uh, cheers to him for really coming up with something that, you know, really we've been lacking these sorts of hardcore proposals from both candidates, you know, prior to that election. And it's nice and really, to me, very refreshing to see, you know, hardcore proposals. You know, here's what we should do. Sure, the devil's in the details, but I'm, I'm so glad to see someone actually use their business acumen to say, well, you know, how about we do this? You know, it's something based on some real intelligence and thought. Mm-hmm. Well, we look forward to Mike Sinyard's 12-point plan or anybody else in the bike industry who thinks they've, they've got some ideas for this country. Yeah, again, it's great to see somebody come forward with detail and not just complain and whine about, you know, the situation that faces us. So good for John Burke. If you want to read uh, his whole plan, we'll, we'll provide a link to that uh, in our show notes. Um, and uh, another thing I'd encourage people to do is go listen to that Eisenhower speech. It's pretty interesting, actually. It's fantastic. And again, another thing you go, yeah, you go, wait, that's a Republican? Wow, pretty impressive what he had to say there on, in his final day, final night, in fact, uh, in office from President Eisenhower. My and understand- first year on the pace line. We, we, play, we played Ike on the pace line. Yeah. And my understanding is that Trump really likes the pace line, and so he probably, you know, he got at least the short version that you just encapsulated right now. <laughs> he does. He needs the abbreviated version, and that's it right yeah. there. All right. The pace line goes global with updates on world bicycle relief and- the International Mountain Bicycling Association. That's next. Hi, I'm John Burke, and I'm the president at Trek Bicycle. Why does a bicycle-friendly world matter? There's a couple of reasons. Number one is the environment. Vehicles contribute 60 to 70% of urban air pollution. 
Paceline, the podcast on two wheels, fatty at fatcyclist.com. Patrick Brady at redkitepair.com. I'm Michael Houghton. Good news, Paceliners. Uh, we have a sponsor, our first. And this is actually something that caught my eye a few months ago. And that is insurance that takes into account healthy lifestyles, specifically life insurance for cyclists. Patrick, tell us about Health IQ. Yeah, so actually they got in touch with us because one of their employees listens to the pace line. Uh, so I was pretty psyched about that. It's funny, I had been seeing their ads in social media. Um, this is, you know, health insurance geared to cyclists, which is to say, you know, health insurance uh, predicated on somebody who's living a healthier life. You know, um, they're aware and actively courting uh, clients who are living a healthy, conscious lifestyle. Um, you know, they're actively chasing science and data, uh, so that they can fight for lower rates on life insurance, uh, for those who are health conscious, you know, so it's not just cyclists, it's runners, swimmers, you know, whoever, uh, triathletes. Um, and you know, they've got, they've got data that shows that, you know, if you're a cyclist, you've got a 45% lower cancer risk an 18% lower heart rate risk and up to a 28% lower heart uh, lower risk of early death. Um, so it's, you know, it's pretty solid information that they're using to advocate for better rates. Um, I, you know, I'm a fan, <laughs> I need to get new life insurance and I'm certainly going to be looking at this as I shop. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited to have them as a sponsor. And I think that, you know, for our audience, uh, they're well worth looking at. For more information on health IQ or to get a quote, Go to healthiq.com, click on their insurance tab, scroll down to the Get a Quote section, and you will see a cycling icon. And we thank Health IQ for a great idea and for their support of the Pace Line. And thank you, Patrick, for, for finding them as well. We love a good cause here on the Pace Line, and one of our favorites is World Bicycle Relief. Fatty, you have an announcement regarding the great WBR. Yeah, one of the things that made me... A little bit hesitant, and let me say the only thing really that made me a little bit hesitant uh, in shutting down uh, FatCyclist.com is that it has been a really good uh, source and force for fundraising uh, for charities that I care about, and that would definitely include World Bicycle Relief, and I wanted to keep doing fundraising, and so... Uh, that's one of the things Patrick and I talked about when we were doing, uh, talking about bringing the two sides together, and we're going to. Uh, every year, I've done a uh, fundraiser called Grand Slam uh, for World Bicycle Relief, uh, and the idea being to raise enough money to buy a thousand bicycles for school kids, school girls in particular, in Zambia, in uh, Kenya. And in uh, Tanzania, in basically in poverty-stricken areas where children have a great distance to cover in order to get to school, having a bicycle changes the possibility not just of whether they're going to be able to stay in school, but what their options are for uh, after school, meaning once they have graduated. So they stay in school longer and then are able to have a greater range of possibilities for jobs. $147 buys a child a purpose-built, basically bomb-proof, single-speed bike with coaster brakes, you know, so the bare number, bare minimum p- number of moving parts 
um, in a bike. And um, I, I think over the course of my blogging, I've raised enough to buy between four and 5,000 bicycles for kids. And now we're going to have the Grand Slam for 2016, 2017 on Red Kite Prayer. I'm stoked about this. And as I have always done, there will be opportunities to win some pretty amazing prizes. So this is just a hint of an announcement more than an announcement itself because that contest won't have started yet by the time you listen. But by the time we do the next episode of this podcast, I will have more to say and there will be cool things to win and ways that you can, in this last month of the year, make a great donation. Maybe, you know, maybe it's a good idea for your tax situation to make a difference in a huge way for some child in Africa. Nice. Uh, a world bicycle relief. This the people involved in that effort, and it's 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 core it's it's main goal is just one that's easy to get behind mm-hmm. um a, a great opportunity to help people move themselves around and we take it for granted here our ability to move around and get places um wbr can tell you otherwise that that for some people connecting the dots is very difficult because they don't have a car they don't have a bus and a bike can make no pun intended, a world of difference in their lives. So we look forward to, to yeah. more on that, Fatty, uh, in the coming weeks. Awesome. All right. Uh, the International Mountain Bicycling Association, keeping on our global theme here, has wrapped up its World Summit. And Patrick, you have checked in with that very important trails organization and what they are up to. Yeah. So I gave a call to Amy Ross, who's the business development director and, uh, you know, I just wanted to hear kind of what the big goals were for the World Summit. And I also wanted to hear a little bit more about why they selected Bentonville, Arkansas uh, for the location of it. And, um, well, coming out of it, I love IMBA even more and want to be able to attend the next one they do in two years' time. But in the meantime, I think I'm going to need to visit Bentonville as well. But you can hear her talk about it. Thanks so much for giving us some time to talk about the recent IMBA World Summit. Um, I tell you, I saw an awful lot of social media uh, during the event and then coming out of the event. And um, uh, I think it's fair to say that advocacy isn't usually considered all that sexy. And uh, I, I think that maybe you get to say we brought the sexy this time around. It's definitely a... Uh, um, you know, kind of a check mark for us with this year's summit in regards to you know reaching a much broader audience. So yeah, we we definitely wouldn't say we brought the sexy back. We just brought the sexy. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk some about the event itself. I mean, obviously, people were uh, talking about it because they're. Uh, shall we say unaccustomed to the idea that there's world class mountain biking in Arkansas. Um, you know, we can be forgiven that to some degree because a lot of those trails, if I understand correctly, are relatively new, have been constructed just in the last three or four years. Um, but, you know, the Imba World Summit <clears throat> isn't just some vacation to go ride in a cool place. You've got real policy objectives, 
uh, there's education you want to do. Tell us a little bit more about just what it is you hope to accomplish when the event happens. So each time we do a World Summit, we kind of focus that year specifically around a theme. And our summits, just so we're on the same page, are held on a biannual basis. Um, and so the next one won't be until 2018. And when we started planning for the 2016 World Summit, we were asking ourselves a lot of questions internally, you know, around what is the theme for this year's summit. And we landed on building tomorrow's mountain biking today, um, which really kind of states a message driven towards community, outreach, resources, trails, access. So it's, it's a mixed bag, and it fits so well with Bentonville because of the fact of what they have created there in their urban access system of trails. And you're correct in the fact that most of the trails there are pretty new over the last three or four years. Um, in fact, about 40 miles of it, maybe a little bit more, is actually brand new as of this year. Wow. So there were sections of trail that literally opened like weeks before we arrived for the World Summit um, and even up to including a new network of trail system that's just two miles outside of downtown Bentonville that isn't technically open, but the Walton Family Foundation were gracious enough to give us a sneak peek of that system. So really focusing around the community aspect and what trails can do for a community um, is something Bentonville has done very well and has partnered with us over the last handful of years to create that. Wow. Um, and so in terms of, you know, your, your mission in educating people, you know, what are the big things that you're trying to communicate uh, in terms of like, okay, here's Bentonville, here's what they've done. What do you want the big takeaways to be uh, to other organizations or, or other groups of people who are doing this? Yeah, that's a really great question because there's been so much more activity and conversation around that specific topic since we've left Bentonville. And we've continued to have that conversation with our partners down there as far as like, what's next? And I mean, I've been traveling down there for the last year while we were in preparation for the summit. And every time I would go down there, you know, I'd, I'd meet new members of the community and, and you know, partners of ours would take me out and introduce me to new trail systems and, you know, how many new miles they were developing and give me kind of that sneak peek. And every time I would come back, you know, I'm, I'm telling my peers here in Colorado, like, you have to make sure you get down to Bentonville for the World Summit because it's it's amazing. And everyone that ended up going because I had encouraged them all came back and said, you are so right. This is absolutely amazing. And what's amazing about it is the fact that the local community there knew who to partner with. And they brought in organizations like AMBA and People for Bikes and then the local community, even between the local CVB, um, you know, the Walton Family Foundation was a big player. But then they brought in other um, local convention and visitor bureaus from the Northwest Arkansas area 
They brought in county planners, you know, just everyone together to make what happened happen because without everyone partnership in this, you know, you can build, you know, 10 miles of trail and it's 10 miles of trail. It, it doesn't, it doesn't do a lot for the greater mountain bike community. And so with everyone's buy-in into that concept of we want to be a mountain bike destination. And not only do we want to be a destination for other people within the U S or traveling from outside, but we want to be a destination for people in their community wanting to come and actually stay there and invest in the area. So our takeaway from this was to show everyone what can happen when you foster those partnerships between all levels of a community. You know, it takes some one person with a vision to really bring everyone together and work together so well to develop the mission of what they ended up doing and building this urban network that, I mean, the last couple of times I've gone down there, I've met new people and they've told me like, I, I never knew anything about mountain biking. And now because of the access to the trail system, they're into it. Their kids are into it. Their parents are getting into it. It's wow. just, everyone is, is really embracing it. And I always laugh because one of the, um, one of our great partners down there, her name is Kayleen Griffith, and she is the president of Visit Bentonville, so the local CVB. She is not a cyclist. She will tell you, tried and true, I am not a cyclist, but I understand what cycling can do for my community and the impact that it has on everyone's health and wellness. And so now, even after, like, We've gone through the summit and everything, and, and we continue to talk to her that she has told me when I just before we came back, she said, all right, I'm going to buy a mountain bike, and I'm going to try this out. And I said, okay, I'm holding you to it because the next time I come down here, we're going for a mountain bike ride. And she laughed. She's like, okay, I'm, I'm in. Um, and it, it's stuff like that that's just so encouraging to see that, you know, showing people what can happen from an urban setting can really develop cycling and specifically mountain biking in this case um, for our future. And it just allows more people into our bubble that is so much more willing to like, you know, stretch the bar, the capacity and raise the bar on what really can be done. And for a lot of communities, they look at it and say, you know, we can't do this in our community. And in some cases, I'm sure that's true. But the bigger picture for us is that by developing an urban system in a community, you start educating more people about the healthy impacts of mountain biking. And that can then be spread out into you know, backcountry relationships with communities that may, might not have you know, the best urban access, but you drive five miles out of town and they have, you know, the most amazing trail system. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Excellent. Now I'm curious your take on uh, the Walton family foundations function in this, how critical to the creation of this trail system do you think having the money was? I mean, I frequently hear that uh, 
you know, building new trails uh, is a function of the relationship that you have with the local land managers. And I'm wondering, you know, did did the presence of money, did the presence of influential money in this community, uh, was that maybe the tipping point? That's a really good question. And a lot of people have, you know, made that statement of, you know, well, we'll never have that because we don't have, you know, Walton Family Foundation money. Um, And I want to make sure I give credit where credit is due. Mm -hmm. Tom Walton of the Walton Family Foundation had a vision for this trail network and he worked tirelessly to make sure that he built partnerships within his community to see that vision through. Um, while seed dollars are super important, and that's one thing that you know, IMBA hopes to be able to communicate to a lot of our partners moving forward is those seed dollars are important. But it's not those seed dollars that actually make that vision become reality. It's it takes a lot of partnerships and that little dollar amount to go out and say, Hey, okay, if we put up, you know, $10,000 for this project, can we get X, Y, and Z organizations to match us? And then we can develop something even bigger. Um, and, and that's exactly what happened there. And that was another reason why, we wanted to bring people into Bentonville and hear that story. And in fact, Tom shared his story at our um, VIP reception um, on that Saturday night, closing the summit of, you know, his vision of, of what he saw and how building partnerships with local community members really helped strengthen that partnership for them to move forward to where they are. And that certainly the Walton Family Foundation did provide some grants to help seed that. Um, it wasn't all of their money that was put up. There were there okay. were dollars from several different entities, and that's kind of the the takeaway that that Emma is looking to communicate to a lot of other communities across the U.S. when they when they see this is that all you need is a little bit of seed dollars and you can work a lot of magic with that. And we've, there's some other examples that we have where this has worked. Um, Caliente, um, Nevada has also been a great example here recently where um, our region director down there stood up and out of his budget provided a $5,000 grant to see this project. And the next thing you know, he ended up with something like half a million between several partners to get the project started. Yeah. So it's really important that, you know, those seed dollars are important, but, you know, having the passion and the belief behind what can happen um, makes those things a reality. Mm -hmm. And it's hard, it's hard to talk about it. And this is like where I would say that, you know, that's the advocacy piece that people like you and you start talking and they kind of think, oh, wah, wah, here we go. Um, with the advocacy message that's super wonky and nobody understands and it's hard to follow. Um, the, the cool thing about this summit was here was that wonky advocacy message where you had a bunch of people in the background partnering to make something a reality. And then we were able to bring a bunch of people down 
to an area and show them this is the reality of what happens when those partnerships come together. So I come from the product side of the mountain bike industry. And when I stepped into advocacy, cause I thought, you know, I was like, I, I really care. And, and the trails are, are what we need as an industry to actually make products. And it's been so difficult for me for the first couple of years to wrap my head around, like, what is our product? Well, this time, um, you know, I, I think we came to market with a product that was revolutionary in our industry. And that was showing everyone what happened in Bentonville. Wow. Very cool. Uh, well, now I'm dying to get out there and try those trails. But uh, I love the idea that, you know, uh, you don't necessarily need, you know, um, you know, someone of the stature of the Waltons to get something done. I mean, every city has its, you know, its movers, its city fathers. And if you could just enlist some of them that, you know, that can help you begin the, building the relationships that you need to get something like this done. So it's an encouraging message. Um, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us. Absolutely. And uh, we'll check in with you uh, sometime in the future before the, the next World Summit for sure. Please do. Thanks, Amy. So that was Amy Ross of IMBA, their business development director, talking about the recent IMBA World Summit in Bentonville, Arkansas. And one of the things that she shared with me uh, about it was she had been doing periodic trips to visit the area as they planned for it. And her husband, um, a uh, former mountain bike pro with Gary Fisher, uh, uh, Nat Ross is a super, super well-respected mountain bike uh, ace. And... Uh, he he was wondering, you know, what is it? What is the deal with Bentonville? And uh, so she was like, you're going to love this place. You're really going to dig it. And uh, so once she got him there and he got to ride and people started asking him, OK, what do you think? of it?" he's like, this is one of the top three places I have ever ridden my mountain bike in my life. So take note, people. Yeah, Arkansas, um, one of those states that I think is trying to use mountain biking um, as a tool, as a leverage to attract visitors, and it's a good thing. I mean, they've got plenty of open space um, and the need to, to draw visitors, so why not? Uh, bring your mountain bike to Arkansas and check it out. All right, coming up, a helmet made out of paper and our Pace Line Picks. The Subaru Imba Trail Care Crew is actually two teams of couples that travel the United States and Canada. We teach trail building schools, we meet with land managers, we work with affiliated clubs to foster mountain bike opportunities throughout the world. The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels, Fatty of FatCyclist.com and RedKitePrayer.com, I might add. And then, of course, Patrick Brady, publisher of RKP. I'm Michael Hutton, your host of the Bird of Prey bike. This has been showing up, and I've heard this from other riders, friends, colleagues. It's been showing up in their Facebook feed a lot, the Bird of Prey bike. They're almost getting annoyed by it because it keeps popping up. It's been out for a year, but for some reason, it's getting new traction on social media. John Aldridge is its inventor. He's in San Diego. The bike puts the rider in a prone position, hands and arms in aerotype bars, but instead of sitting, 
the rider is stomach down on the bike with hips supported by a saddle. Pedaling is done behind the rear wheel. The cranks and the chain and the chain set are actually behind the rear axle. Here's how Aldridge decided on that position. With a vertebrae bicycle, part of the way I designed it was that I held my hands up until they were just like comfortable. And I lifted my head until it was just comfortable, right about here. And then I knew that I could just lay forward down on the bike. And that was the position that I, I finally ended up with, where I was laying far enough forward to be aerodynamic and I could see where I was going. Aldridge claims the bike and rider are more aero than a traditional bike, more comfortable, more efficient in this position. He even claims better stopping power and no chance of flying over the bars. Bikes go for $5,000 to $8,500. Patrick, this looks like the opposite of a recumbent bike. Oh, man, it's 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 a recumbent on methamphetamine and LSD. Uh, you know, it's just... <laughs> um, I'm all for creativity, but I just see such a host of problems with this thing. You know, it's aero bars, so maneuverability, you know, really being able to uh, control the bike in close quarters is going to be just disastrous. And then there's the fact that you're always on those two pads, you know, uh, at your just below your waist. Um, so you're never going to get out of the saddle. You know, you're never going to be able to lift yourself up to kind of, you know, adjust your position. Think about how many times in the saddle, you know, you're seated and yet you just put a little extra pressure on the pedals so that you can shift your position and get into, you know, a slightly more mm -hmm. comfortable spot on the saddle. There's not going to be any of that with this. So eventually you're going to have these huge sores, you know, on, on the front of your pelvis, you know, <laughs> oh my gosh, just, you couldn't pay me enough to ride the thing what if you want to lift your wheel to get over a pothole what Good if you luck. want to lift your wheel to get up a curb or up a you know a particularly ledgy um bump in a in the road or as you go up a driveway or as you transition from one road surface to another to me it just seems like i mean you are beholden to the to the surface of the road in a whole new yeah. way with this thing. Oh my a bird of prey mountain bike is completely out of the question. Right. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be racing those in Leadville, dude. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, there's more to life uh, than aerodynamics. Yeah, right. Um, Echo helmet is a folding, recyclable, vendable helmet for bike share. Have you seen Echo helmet, guys? This yeah. is made out of waterproofed paper. In a unique radial honeycomb pattern. Oh, well, if it's waterproof, then it should be just fine. <laughs> it looks like one so, of those Thanksgiving, you know, full uh, origami turkey decorations. It's an origami turkey. That's awesome. It, this uh, is the perfect episode to be talking about this. We could put the little turkey with a little pilgrim hat uh, <laughs> head on there, and you are golden. Little fanned yeah, out feathers. The only thing it lacks is a waddle. Um <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly. You guys have got the the right idea. Those those paper turkeys people sometimes see that kind of fan out and, and and look bulbous, but they're made of paper. That's kind of what this helmet looks like, and it's kind of based on the same principle. It is actually it's won a design award, the James Dyson Award for Industrial Design. <sighs> the inventor is a um, Isis Shifter, and here's her inspiration for the Echo Helmet. 
This was born when I was traveling a lot and renting bikes in every city I went to and spending a lot of my time exploring the cities, which was great, feeling really, really anxious. It was unfamiliar, I was riding on the wrong side of the road and I hadn't packed a helmet with me. I started thinking it would be really nice if I could just get a helmet with the bike and just feel a little bit more comfortable on the road. And when I started talking to other people who use bike shares, that was the number one complaint, is that they were anxious to be riding in the city. So I decided to come up with something that was cheap, that worked like a regular helmet, and could be available with a bike share or a bike rental place anywhere in the world. Again, it it's flat <laughs> folded states. What folds down, it, it, you could put it in a vending machine. Uh, it requires no assembly to put on. You just place it on your head, pull down the straps, and then clip. The stretchy material conforms to most head sizes. The cell structure distributes any impact uh, evenly around the head, according to the designer. Um, she says she's tested it in, in labs uh, with crash tests to see that you know it does protect the head um, almost as well as a normal helmet. A biodegradable coat almost as well. A biodegradable coating. A biodegradable coating makes it resistant to rain for up to three hours. Um, Echo Helmet is recyclable and can be sold for under five bucks. Okay. Um, when I look at a helmet, the fact that I can put it in the green recycling bin, not a selling point. Okay. <laughs> not a selling point? Yeah, no, no. I'm concerned about things like, oh, did it pass CPSC regulations? And in this case, the answer is no. And I wouldn't yeah. be so hard on this helmet, except why are you marketing a product that is not yet judged to be safe for use? Um, this this is just, I mean, I wouldn't have anything bad to say about this thing if it had passed CPSC testing, okay? Right. I don't care that it's passed some tests, you know? I mean... Well, she says it passed European standards. How are those different? Do you know? Uh, they're more stringent, but, you know, from what I've read, that hasn't passed the, the CE test which is the more stringent test and it certainly right. hasn't passed cpsc testing um mm -hmm. so this is this is selling a product or marketing at least a product that is not yet ready uh for prime time and i'm mm -hmm. i really feel a need especially in our position to push back against that you know once it passes all the testing hey great excellent wonderful but if it's not actually safe enough to protect my head in a fall don't try to sell me on it. P.S. Stop riding on the wrong side of the road. <laughs> <laughs> that too. Echo Helmet, is a, it's a startup now, and she's exploring a prototyping and third-party testing to get it certified for sale. Uh, okay, Echo Helmet. I don't know if it'll ever see the light of day, but there it is. Time now for our paceline picks. Uh, in case this idea is new to you, this is new to you. Uh, this is where each one of us shares a recommendation or find or a thought or a belch or whatever. We call it uh, paceline picks because, well, what else would we call it, right? Fatty, <laughs> how about you? What's your paceline pick this week? My paceline pick is disposable arm warmers. Um, <laughs> wow. I'll Okay, ah. I may be down with that. Tell me more. Yeah, me too. Here, here, here's what I'm talking about. They're not actually marketed as disposable arm warmers, but this is something that I do, and I don't know if a lot of people do, but I think it's fantastic. Over at Nash Bar, you know, nashbar.com, where you can buy lots of discounted stuff for bikes, right? Um, they have their own brand arm warmers, which are, I think, $9. And... It is just so nice to have a pair of arm warmers that 
if you are racing and you're doing an all-day race, you won't feel bad about tossing out to someone on the side of the road saying, here, keep these. Um, that's my pick. It's a, it's a simple one, but I buy them usually you know, in, in packs of five. And here's the thing. They are, so, they are pretty good arm warmers. And I found that I am a little more reluctant to toss them to the side of the road than I initially expected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> so, it's like so, the uh, the two dollar pair of gloves I bought in Leadville. They're like gardening gloves oh, or yeah. something like that. And I put them on at the beginning of the race, knowing that I could just chuck them if I wanted to. But I've held on to them. They've mm-hmm. made they've made their way around Leadville now three times. Yep. These two dollar <laughs> gardening gloves. So. Yeah, I have the same thing. I have a I have this sort of weird looking lambs you know faux lambs wool fleecy coat that I bought at a, a thrift store. With the specific intention of, uh, you know, tossing off to the side, uh, you know, to to a spectator at the and at the starting line, and never seen again, it has made its way back to me now for four successive Leadvilles. It will. It's like it's like you know the cat that keeps coming back, right? right. <laughs> the pet cemetery right. of jackets. Oh, I don't. If if you've never uh, seen the video, the cat came back. Uh, that's what I'm referring to. Uh, look it up on YouTube. Uh, my paceline pick takes us to the country we went to war with over an issue very few of us can avoid. The country, of course, is England. The issue is taxes. British Cycling, the lobbying group in Great Britain for bikes, is asking for a three hundred dollar a year tax break for people who bike commute. Under the proposal, cyclists would be able to claim a bike break off their annual tax bill when they show they ride to work regularly. British Cycling said it would help develop an app that would track users' commutes to entitle them to claim back the cash. The bike break is part of a package being pursued by British Cycling that also includes extending bike-to-work programs for the self-employed, offering tax breaks for employers to build changing and cycling parking facilities in workplaces, and, of course, the bike break uh, tax break that we just talked about. Olympian Chris Boardman is backing all of the ideas, including the tax break. He has uh, ripped his government, in fact, for spending so little on cycling, which spends just over a dollar per person on bike infrastructure. This package, including the bike brakes, would cost the government about $212 million annually. But the bike break is a, a revolutionary and something worth waging a battle over. By the way, if you're wondering about the good old US of A, our tax code has section 132F, which says an employer may offer $20 per month to employees to bike to work. And that 20 is tax-free. I used to bike to work all the time, never got my stipend because I guess my employer was uh, just too cheap to give it out. Okay, Patrick, taxes are off the table. What's your pick? My pick is rather selfish. I'm pleased to say that the uh, RKP store is going to be back online by the time you hear this. So T-shirts, prints, uh, cycling kit, all that stuff that has been uh, unavailable for the better part of this year uh, will finally be available once again. And so I'm psyched about that, especially since uh, this thing called Christmas is looming. Mm, Good. In your honor, then, I'll wear my uh, RKP kit around. Maybe tomorrow. I'm on a ride tomorrow. So Sweet. I'll, I'll I'll show off and plug for you. How's that? Thank you. Awesome. Uh, so we've done a lot of talking about the sites, the merger of uh, FC and RKP. Fatty, I see uh, it's a good time of year to buy fat cyclist gear. 
That's right. Even though FatCyclist.com is going to become, a, I guess, a latent enterprise, I still have some of my Fat Cyclist gear that if you have never worn DNA uh, brand cycling clothes, uh, you should check out. Um, mm-hmm. I don't have everything in every size, but I have discounted everything super heavily. So basically selling below my cost. Um, you know, hey, why not? <laughs> uh I, I was a lucky recipient of a Fat Cyclist jersey. Uh, Fatty gave one to me when we were together once. It is it, easily, I have the most fun wearing that jersey because, and I'm not ashamed to admit, I'm a bit of a skinny guy. So when I put you that are. thing on, the catcalling I get is pretty funny. I, it says Fat Cyclist, right? Fat, fatcyclist.com across the back with the big Clydesdale horse on it. And people do razz me quite a bit when I wear that thing. But I love it. And it is a great <laughs> fitting jersey. It's a, one of my... One of my go-to favorites. Rolling irony. Right now. <laughs> Very well put, Patrick Brady. And with that, in addition to the uh, RKP store, what else is on deck for Red Kite Prayer? Oh, I finally got uh, the review of the uh, Zip 303 NSWs up. Uh, the mm-hmm. Michelin uh, Power Protection Plus tires just went up today. And uh, let's see. Uh, my annual Thanksgiving post goes live tomorrow. The annual Thanksgiving post. Yeah. Okay. Looking forward to that. Hungry for that. Awesome. Uh, the pace line can be found on the pages of Red Kite Prayer. Show notes and links above and below the player posted for each episode. And room for your comments, of course. The pace line can also be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Music. Subscribe and share, we say. Share with all your friends. Especially this time of year. It's Thanksgiving. Uh, Okay, let's go for a ride. Be safe, be kind to each other, and we will talk to you next time on The Pace Line. So in this, my last good night to you as your president, I thank you for the many opportunities you have given me for public service in war and in peace. (laughs) 